0: Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks, and we'll talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self defense. Now, here is your host,
1: Kelly McMillan. Hi, and welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host. Thanks for being here. I'm really looking forward to an exciting show i uh, got some great guests on. We're going to take a little bit of time to talk about uh, a few different things. Cooper's here with me today, so she's going to get a little mic time. I know she's always excited about that. Um, but, you know, what we've done over the year that we've been broadcasting is try to create um, a sense of importance with some of the information that we share with everybody. Uh, we did the Collegiate Spotlight hoping that people understood that, yeah, there's a lot of uh, schools out there, uh, universities that have shooting teams, so if their children are shooting or they know somebody who's a competitive shooter and would like to continue their education, they could tune in and, and hear from some of the coaches, and I think that was really well received. Um, something that we're doing different than we've ever done before here at McMillan is we're going to sponsor a team. Now, for the last four years, I've been sponsor of the USA shooting team, but we're actually going to have an F-class FTR team called Team McMillan, and they're going to shoot uh, whenever they get together as a team uh, and represent McMillan, and, and they're going to be part of our ELR HQ um, champions, uh, which if you know anything about that, uh, it's a, a website that's going to to be a one-stop shop for everything long range and extreme long range shooting so if you decide to get into one of these sports uh, you don't have to go to 15 different uh, websites to try to find all the equipment that you need we're going to have them in one place they're all going to be champion vetted meaning that we're going to the champions asking them what they're using and why they're using it they'll have a video on each of the products eventually not right away but eventually we'll have videos on each of the products explaining why the champions choose those products and why they use them, and why we think they're the best ones for you. So that's something that's really new. Um, Right now, I'm going to take this time to introduce one of our Team McMillan teammates. Uh, As a matter of fact, he's the captain. His name is Ray Gross. Hello, Ray. Are you there with me? I am, Kelly. Well, great. Thanks for being on the show. Really glad to have you. Uh, I would like for you to. I'd, I'd like for you as a uh, member of Team McMillan to explain to our listeners what that means to you, um, anything that you have uh, goals you've set for this year, and how Team McMillan is going to work hard at being you know, the best FTR class we can make it.
2: Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate to have the guys on the team that we do, they're all top shooters. And they, you know, I know that they work hard on their own, uh, you know, to come to prepare to the matches. I'm kind of the guy as a coach who doesn't, it's hard to practice coaching without a shooter there to coach. So um, one of the things that I hope to do uh, this year is get us out together more often, um, which will help me, um, you know, be more proficient uh, while I'm coaching the guys.
1: Let's take just a minute to tell people exactly what a coach does. I know some of the competitive shooters that have never been involved in in an NRA high power or a team that actually in, consists of a coach uh, really understand what that means. So let's, let's share with them what you do as a coach.
2: Well, first I mean, the team matches themselves are a little different than these people imagine. Um, in a coached team match the coach is sitting there beside the shooter um, watching the conditions downrange the winds the direction and telling the shooter when and where uh, to aim on the target uh, trying to keep him centered up so there' are, you know various strategies um, uh, the very common one is just shoot fast to the spotter the spotter being you know as they mark the target um, as you get more experience as a coach, you, you begin to learn to look for conditions as they change, and you'll hold your shooter up. You may hold them up for quite a while um, and then come back in in, the, you know, in, a, in, a, in a benign condition later on in the match. So a lot of it, there's in, in F class, it's pretty, It's a lot easier. The coach-shooter relationship is a lot easier because the shooters can often see. Uh, you know They've got optics. They can see where they're hitting. When you're shooting, when you're coaching with a, uh, a slingshooter who is using iron sights, oftentimes they can't see where they're, shooting, they're hitting on the target. And, uh, so you've got to have maybe a little bit more psychological help for them, uh, if you will. You know, making them feel comfortable up there, uh, so they don't get worried about where they're hitting or concerned about their performance.
1: I had the pleasure of watching you coach the, the U.S. team at the World Championships in August up in Canada. And one of the things that I, I saw among other coaches was that it was not uncommon for a coach to reach over, turn the, the elevation or the windage turret without saying a word to the, the shooter and just have him expect that whatever change was made was right and go ahead and, and pull the trigger. Now, I know you guys didn't use that method, but that's not uncommon in, in F-class, is it?
2: No, it's not uncommon at all. And, in fact, it's not uncommon in, in most of the team shooting events. Uh, the, the shooters are, are up there to, you, you, honestly, they're kind of like a voice-activated rifle. Um, <laughs> the coach is really there to adjust the sights, and tell them when to shoot. Um, and and so I, I, I don't mean that to sound derogatory. It's not. It, there's a, there's a, a definite skill level in being a team shooter, but it, it requires a lot of trust in your coach.
1: Well, I, I agree with that, and, and I saw some of the shooters, Derek Rogers for one, um, he was really in sync with you. Uh, I think that he was probably already thinking what you told him when you were giving him commands because it just seemed like you guys were really in sync at the entire match, and, and Derek shot really well. Um, as a matter of fact, ended up being the individual uh, world champion. Uh, so, you know, that's a, a testament to how good he is, but I think it's also goes to show how good teamwork is when you have a team... It spends a lot of time together and works really hard at winning. Not all of the best teams won at that match. I don't think. Uh, I think there were some other teams out there that were really good teams that didn't win because I think, f- frankly, they probably lacked in coaching a little bit.
2: Uh, that could well be. That you know the coaches, the coaches are. It's kind of a black art. Um, there's not as much science to it as you might think, uh, and so. The coaches that are more experienced uh, have been around a, a lot longer. They're more able to deal with the changing conditions and different conditions and new conditions that come up. Uh, more more able to deal with the stresses of the match. Um, it's it's tough sitting up there when you you tell a guy to, to shoot and you know a three comes up on the target um, and you know everybody on a team just saw you do that and if, and if you don't have a little bit of a thick skin and can and can just say, hey, I make mistakes and just keep going, um, you're going to get in trouble really quick.
1: Well, I think it's just a matter of respect, uh, a matter of trust uh, in order for teammates to be confident shooting with a coach and vice versa. Uh, I think that's probably the key ingredient. If you don't have trust and um, respect for your teammate, whether it be the coach or the shooter, that whole program just isn't going to work as well as it should. That's absolutely right. Well, Ray, I really appreciate you being on the show. I'm looking forward to the new season and get to spend more time with you and the guys. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, thanks for sharing some really good insight with us.
2: Yep. Uh, hope to be back soon.
1: Okay, we'll see you in February at the uh, Burger Southwest Nationals. I'll See you then. Bye. I got to tell you, Ray Gross is one of the nicest people I've ever met. He's uh, uh, and an excellent win coach, and and I'm really proud to have him on Team McMillan. Uh, my next guest is just as impressive. I I tell you, I, the first time I ever met her, I was so impressed with her. Not only was she one of the nicest people I've ever met, uh, she was tearing us up. I mean, she can shoot uh, seriously, and and I saw her at Sportsman Team Challenge. But I know that she's. Uh, She's been a seven-time world champion and 22-time national champion and uh, over 50-time woman national champion, so she's done her share of shooting. I'd like to welcome to the show Kathy Severin. Kathy, how are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Kelly.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure for sure. Uh, I'm excited to catch up with you. It's been a while since we've uh, spent much time together. I saw you at at Wig's birthday party. Fortunately, we were there and we and we got to see him before he passed. Was, was such a great guy. You remind me a lot of a female Wig. You're kind of similar to him in stature, but uh, boy, you guys <laughs> sure could shoot.
0: Yes, he he was definitely you know one of our mentors. Actually, the reason my husband and I met, so he'll he'll sure be missed. And if I could if I could be a tenth of what Wig was, it would be it would be awesome.
1: Well, what I'd like for you to do is just to share with our listeners a little bit about your past. You know where you grew up, how you got involved in shooting, and uh, I can I can tell them a little bit about why I think you're so good. But I would like for you to kind of give us an overview of how you go from, you know, just being a normal girl playing with dolls to ending up one of the very best shooters in the world, regardless of male or female.
0: Oh, well, thank you very much. Well, I was fortunate enough to grow up in Montana, and, of course, I wanted to do everything my brig brother was doing. So he started in a BB gun program. So when I was about seven or eight, I started shooting BB gun as well. And we we excelled we excelled pretty well in that. We actually went to BB gun nationals, and a lot of those programs are, are still active today. So if if you have a young and wanted to get into that, just, just look into BB gun and JC's and, and your kids can do that as well, just as I did, oh gosh, 30 years ago as I'm dating myself, and uh, we grew up, you know, hunting and fishing, enjoying the outdoors, and then um, they did a, uh, they had some Montana guys on the U.S. team shooting running target, and they did a, a clinic at a local town there, so I went ahead and uh, joined in on the clinic and fell in love with running target, and then at a, at a, at a young age, uh age 14, I made the made the US shooting team. So that was that was pretty neat. Um from playing with dolls, I really <laughs> I of course I played with dolls, but I trained a lot. I practiced a lot. Uh even took correspondence courses as before, you know, they did all the com- computer courses. So they did correspondence courses so I could shorten my my days in high school and stuff so I could go home and train. So I shot quite a quite a bit and then was on the US shooting team. Um through high school and college, and so I went to college down there in Colorado Springs so I could get more training at the Olympic Training Center. And you were required as a day use athlete to train 20 hours a week. So I went to school full time and trained 20 hours, worked a part time job too, and then traveled on the team. So it was it was a we were always pretty busy, always pretty busy and going. And then uh, during that whole time, I fell in love with silhouette as well, which is what I what I still shoot to the day. I've shot 27, 27 US nationals now ever since I was twelve. So quite a few of those and and worked hard and enjoyed it and now I have my family involved in I have a little one and hopefully she'll she'll like it and we can keep going.
1: Now, I tell people, and I think I'm correct in this, but but if I'm not, please correct me. I tell people that you're the only person ever to hold the, the high-power Silhouette Championship and the small-bore Silhouette Championship concurrently. Is that right?
0: There, I was, I've actually been the third mm-hmm, to oh, win okay. all four okay. titles in one year.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing that you could do it. Um, I don't know who the other shooters were, but they have to be pretty phenomenal to have done that as well
0: correct, yes.
1: And so you're still shooting silhouette, is that mainly what you do?
0: Yes. Um, unfortunately, uh, they put the Sportsman's Team Challenge Nationals the same time as the, the Silhouette Nationals. So we still shoot the regional, the, uh, the Wigger started there in Raton every year, Sportsman's Team Challenge, and then, yeah, primarily silhouette.
1: So there's a lot of things people don't probably don't know about um, high power or even small bore silhouette. But give an overview of the sport just for the listeners who have never had an opportunity to see it and know what it's about.
0: Okay, yeah. It's actually a pretty neat event. It actually started in Mexico, and um, it evolved over here now. And it's basically you shoot four different distances in small bore. Um, and four different distances in high power. and small bore, the, the rams are the farthest apart. They're at 100 meters, and then the rams in high power are 500 meters. So they're quite a ways out there. It's all shot offhand, and you're not, you're not like an Olympic or a collegiate shooter where you get the, you get the tight vests and coats and stuff. You can wear, you can wear a loose vest, and, um, yeah, you shoot it all offhand, and you deal with the wind and the mirage. What I like about it is you actually get to have a spotter, and so they, they help you out as far as telling you what, if the wind changes when you're up there shooting and don't necessarily notice it or mirage changes, and, and they, can, uh, they can kind of be your subconscious sometimes if you're having a hard time, you know, concentrating or following through. Then, you know, they can give you the extra. They can tell you to follow through. And actually, I'm fortunate enough, my dad has spotted for me forever, and then my husband spots for me in high-power silhouette now.
1: Yeah, that's kind of like your coach, your win coach in in uh, F class or high power, uh, which is I wasn't aware. I have have shot a silhouette match and a couple of small bore silhouette matches. Um, it it doesn't fit my, one. It doesn't fit my physique very well. Um, <laughs> I know you have an advantage because you can get your elbow on your hip much easier than a lot of people can. Definitely. right, right, yeah. Right. Uh, if anyone's ever seen anybody shoot metallic silhouette, when you think of somebody standing up offhand with their elbows out at 90 degrees and, and parallel with the ground the way people used to shoot a rifle, that's not the way they do it anymore. It, it's all really close in, tucked tucked in. If you can get your elbow on your hip, uh, you do that to, to try to present as stable a platform as you possibly can
0: and a lot of a lot of people uh you know just shooters or, or hunters like like shooting the silhouette because it does train them you know if they are out in a hunting situation you know that they have a good breath control and trigger control and you know just just know a little more just a little more subconscious in the field when you actually are out hunting especially the high power because you you know you're shooting out to anywhere from 2 to 500 meters
1: the difference between uh, sportsman team challenge and silhouette is is pretty significant when it comes to timing and how many shots and uh, in silhouette you get one shot per animal and that's it you shoot one time at each animal and if you miss you go on to the next one if you hit it you go on to the next one in sportsman team challenge you have a bank of targets and you have a certain amount of time and you can shoot as many times as you want or as as you have time for until you hit a target and and you can hit them in any order you can basically do anything you want as long as you get all the targets down before your times up so that game really suits my personality and, and my psyche where I can shoot a lot at one thing because when it def- finally goes down, I'm really excited. Uh, <laughs> when you shoot a silhouette and you miss one and then you miss the next one and, and by the time that I've missed the third target, my confidence is so shaken that I might as well quit right there.
0: Goodness. yeah, do, You know, it does... Um you you got to learn to you know if you miss one because of yourself or the wind you, you definitely have to learn to shake it off into a what because yeah you, want, you and you know when you're shooting with a lot of a a lot of the good masters too you know you shoot a um they're shooting 40s on the boards yeah your your best scores a 40 and you, you get in there and you shoot a especially in Washington where the conditions are so nice you'll shoot a 39 and lose and it's like holy smokes so yeah you definitely have to shake it off if one if one doesn't go down and move on.
1: It's been a while since I've been around Silhouette, but I know for a long time there was not a perfect score shot in high power. Has there been since?
0: I don't believe so yet, no. Nope. Especially in high power Hunter, there hasn't been.
1: More common in, in Silhouette, I mean in small bore, right?
0: Yes, Luke shot one this year at Nationals, but I think it had been... About ten, maybe not quite ten years since Jared had done one. So yeah, even the 40s and small bore are kind of few and few and far between to get everything to line up to to get a perfect score.
1: One of the cool things I think about silhouette is the way they score theirs is that if you have if you're tied uh, on a bank of animals, you you run your bank, you get to keep shooting until you miss one, which is kind of a way to allow for someone to. You know, shoot really well, and then, you know, perform and have have that signify how well they did.
0: Right, right. The long one, long runs are are a neat a neat um, a neat thing about silhouette. So as you said, if you shoot ten in a row, then you you can keep going. And I think the number of pigs is Conard has like a hundred and twenty something. Just an amazing number because and you just keep shooting and shooting, and your feet get tired, and your brain gets tired to be able to shoot that many is pretty impressive. And I had no idea about, it was that many. It's it's, it's humongous. And, and I like silhouette, too, because they have different classes. So, you know, if you're just beginning, you know, they have B through master class. So you get to be on the line with everybody, but you're competing against people. You're same skill level or beginner level or mid-level, wherever you're kind of at.
1: Well, I, I noticed on your profile, and it's been a while since I've been around, I haven't seen you wagging a little girl around with you, but I understand, you know, you're married to James and, and you've had a daughter, so she's around eight years old?
0: Yeah, she'll be eight, this, she says she's seven and a half, but she'll be eight this spring, so she's pretty, pretty excited to be growing up.
1: Um, when do you expect to get her into shooting?
0: Um a little bit at a time. We always kind of laugh and figure she'd love it or hate it. she's she's not a shooting range. Uh since she's been 8 weeks old, we've been dragging her along. So uh she seems to like it though. We don't push it too much, but going to start her in some BB gun and stuff stuff this spring and see how she does. So kind of excited about that.
1: Yeah, that's terrific. And I know a lot of people say, "Well, you know, my kids are going to do whatever they're going to do. She might want to play softball. Uh, she might end up being a volleyball, well, I don't know about that." <laughs>
0: Yeah, she got dad's genetics or her
1: mom's. (laughs) But uh, I can't imagine how seeing how much fun you have around the sport and participating in the sport that at some point she won't want to join in and have just as much fun. Yeah,
0: I sure hope so. And it's such a it's such a family family friendly sport, too. I mean, wives and husbands and kids, and, you know, I have some of my best friends I grew up shooting with. I've known for for 20 years, so it's pretty neat. It's a pretty neat sport. I sure enjoy it, and hopefully can pass that along to her.
1: That's awesome. I had Wig on the show, and I've had a lot of high-level, you know, world champion caliber shooters on. Do me a favor, Kathy, and share with our listeners a little bit of your Mental um, approach to the game and and why you think that you've been able to succeed where a lot of others haven't
0: um, as I said earlier, I did practice a lot. I mean, I shot twenty hours a week for for years and even younger than that i you know I would train when I was a, a teenager quite a bit quite a bit during the week when everyone was off having fun or maybe playing video games. I was shooting. Um, and it's mainly with a rifle that I'm, that I'm good at, that I put the practice in. you get a shotgun or a pistol in my hand. Unlike my husband, who's good with everything. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a little scary with a rifle, a shotgun and a, and a pistol at times, unless I, I get some good amount of practice in. So I've just practiced the rifle so much, especially, you know, the scoped rifle with running target and silhouette. Um, and then, yeah, mentally just, um, just a just being able to clear my mind and think about only the, only the shot on hand and, you know, if it doesn't go right to be able to forget about it and go on to the next shot. And, you know, if it is the last shot of a really good run to just be able to keep a focus just on. Um, I actually just look at a spot on the animal, you know, a uh, piece of grass or an old splatter, concentrate on that. And then it makes your aim point smaller, which helps. Aim small, miss small. Yeah, basically. hmm
1: I've uh, talked to a lot of people who mention probably as the number one um, factor is confidence and I spoke a little bit about my lack of confidence after I miss a few shots it definitely goes to my head I play a little golf too and uh, you can walk up to a putt that you could walk up and, and slap it with one hand from three feet away and it would go in nine out of ten times. But you stand over that putt and it might mean the difference between you scoring a 76 or a 77 and somehow you put so much pressure on yourself that it's almost impossible to draw the club back. I know when when you're getting towards the end of a run on a, a silhouette match, you've got to be able to calm your mind and, and stay confident that, when the time's right, that trigger breaks. It's going to be where you want it to be.
0: Definitely, definitely, yeah. And it just, you know, it takes a, it takes a lot of practice doing that, and maybe not having it go right quite a few times before it finally finally does. And it's a progression, you know. Pigs, they say, are the easiest so called animal. So finally, you know, you might get nine pigs so many times, and then you finally get your tenth pig. You know, you get a ten in a row pin, which is exciting. And, and then it just kind of progresses, and you'll get your 10 chickens, and, you know, it just progresses. And as you learn, just as with anything, um, mentally just getting better, per se, or and tougher, and then having the more confidence in yourself that that you can do it in those situations, that, that helps, too.
1: Well, I've watched you enough to know that you have absolutely no problem with confidence, but um, you're definitely not arrogant and cocky. Uh, as I said earlier, one of the nicest people I've ever met, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been really great. I uh, appreciate you sharing your life with us, and uh, good luck to see you. Okay, I appreciate it so much,
0: Kelly. It was great talking okay. with you.
1: Thanks. Uh, that was Bye. Kathy Severin. What a, what a great shooter and, and what a great person. Really appreciate her being on the show. I want to ask all of our listeners to stick around for the next minute and a half or so while we're in a commercial break, and we'll be right back with our next guest.
3: for exciting video content live and on demand visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else that's voiceamerica.tv tune in now for over 40 years macmillan usa has been at the leading edge of the gun stock industry the company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form function and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks from tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan Stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com.
1: Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice of
3: America Sports.
0: You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan.
1: Now back to the show. Hello, everyone. Thanks for sticking around for that commercial break. Um, I'm going to introduce Cooper Ballestrino our social media director. She's got a few tidbits of uh, information for you. Cooper? Thank you thank you for being on the show.
0: Hi Kelly, thanks for having me on again. I just want to remind our listeners to follow and like us on Instagram and Facebook at Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan and then also for all things McMillan, follow us at McMillan Fiberglass Stock. Also, ELRHQ Facebook is now live and I believe we have an Instagram, so head on over to at @ELRHQ and give us a like and hopefully you can see all the new things that we have going on on that website.
1: Thanks, Cooper. Appreciate that. Hey, as Cooper mentioned, ELRHQ is up and running. So if you're looking for any um, long range or extreme long range products that uh, you didn't get for Christmas and that you need, check out the website and see if we've got it on there. If we don't, make sure you let us know what you're looking for, because we're just building our inventory as we speak. So uh, we started out with some of the main stuff, but we definitely want to hear from you if you have some suggestions about what you'd like us to carry. Okay, our next guest is uh, really exciting for me. I've actually uh, spent some time with Kirk. We met at the uh, King of Two Mile uh, last year, and uh, he said, hey, I I do a a podcast. Why don't you come on and be be a guest? And so uh, I actually was a guest on his podcast. He does the Precision Rifle Media podcast. His name is Kirk Young. Kirk, thanks for being on the show.
4: Hey, thanks for having me on, Kelly. I'm super excited to, to be on here. This is, uh, this is the second time I've been the, the one that's getting interviewed.
1: <laughs> well, you're going to help me with this because we're going to just uh, tear right through this. Uh, uh, first off, let's let our listeners get to know a little bit about Kirk Young and, and where you grew up and, and how you got involved in firearms and, and how you ended up uh, doing a podcast.
4: Yeah, sure. So it started out, uh, I grew up in northeastern Wisconsin, uh, actually on an island in Lake Michigan, take a boat to get up there. It's Washington Island, Wisconsin. Um, up there, it's a lot of shotguns and, you know, 22s for squirrels and stuff like that and target shooting with my grandpa, just, uh, you know, little steel spinner targets and stuff that he had built. Uh, and then it, from there we moved down, uh, closer to, to Green Bay, Wisconsin and, uh, I started shooting trap uh, with some friends at the local conservation club there. And we did that for quite a long time. And uh, one of the guys that I used to shoot trap with uh, was into collecting world war two rifles. Uh, so I had never shot anything other than a, a 22 long rifle up until I, I met him. I was probably 18 or 19. And now uh, we started doing some shooting together with these world, old world war two rifles, you know, just whatever, whatever we could get. And, uh, it kind of grew from there into, well, how accurate can we get these? And then, well, how accurate are rifles? And then it just kind of kept uh, progressing into, um, into, uh well, you know how it goes, you know, you start out with a cheap rifle and then you, you know, oh, if I get a nicer scope, if I get a nicer whatever, and it turned into kind of a, a, a passion, uh, maybe even bordering addiction, if you will. And, uh, so we started doing that. We had a local 600 yard range and, The more we did that, the more, you know, um, and this was five years ago, six years ago, maybe. And uh, there wasn't quite the information out back then as there is now. I mean, the sports really exploded in the last three, four years. Uh, So I was looking just for as much information as I could to try and learn as much as I could. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be trying to get a hold of all these people, and learning what I can learn, if I maybe if I just record the conversations, other people will want to listen. And uh, it turns out that there's quite a few other people that wanted to listen, and it's been working out ever since.
1: I've actually listen, listened to several of your podcasts. Uh, it's great information. Well done. Uh, really appreciate it. And, and I kind of uh, look to you to kind of guide me in some of the ways that I want to present myself while I'm on the air, so I appreciate that. Uh, you oh, know, I was, yeah. with, I was talking with somebody yesterday. Who said that? In back in 1998 or 99, he and a bunch of guys were shooting 2,500 yards. And I, I don't want to call him a liar, but I, I said, you know, I've been around this industry my whole life. I can't ever remember anybody talking about shooting 2,500 yards until the last couple of years. Uh, but if they were, they were doing it pretty secretively, and it was, you know, there was no Facebook, and, and so doing that stuff you just did it for the pleasure of doing it uh, today almost everything you do is posted on Facebook or a video or a, a Facebook live Or you know it's a lot of people claiming to do a lot of things and you know have some social media presence so uh, there's a big discussion about well what's the right way and how should this be as you know you have probably heard all of the different claims for world records um, yeah
4: there's a lot what of do you going think about right that now. yeah
1: yeah what do you think about that how are, how are we going to fix that
4: oh you know the the world record thing's a weird one because it seems like every couple months there's somebody else who's making a world record shot but um how do you it, how do you qualify it as a world record shot you know um like you said there's people that way back in 98 they say they were shooting 2500 maybe they were you know i mean doesn't mean they were hitting what they were aiming at you know maybe they were maybe they weren't but um i don't know what's the right way to do it the king of two mile event seems to be uh kind of the leading the way i i would say uh as far as the extended long range or elr shooting uh, records and stuff uh would go um it seems to be kind of what everybody's looking at you know they're they're popping up all over the place now there's a Another one in Texas I saw, I think there was one up in Montana not too long ago that, that aren't necessarily competitions, more or less just like world record attempts, I think. But um, I, I think that if, it's, if there's going to be any kind of records or, or any kind of world record that means anything, I think it'll be with the uh, 50 caliber shooters associations king of two mile event.
1: You know, we've talked about that, and Eduardo, the, the director of the King of Two Mile, is, has been really instrumental in trying to promote extreme long-range shooting and, and getting people involved. But even with the King of Two Mile, unless you try to duplicate his um, process and, and how the match is run uh, in terms of what qualifies and what doesn't and, and where you go from there, you know, any, every person who puts on a match will claim that theirs is a world record simply because it's different. So I think what we've been trying to do as a group, and, and I'm sure you are aware that McMillan has been in the extreme long-range game for a long time. My father invented the bolt-action 50. Well, he didn't invent it, but he made his first uh, bolt-action 50 back in 1986 called the M86. It was a shell holder bolt. Um, and uh, shot the 50 BMG, but at the time, Barrett had just come out with uh, his semi-automatic, and that was a six-minute of angle gun, and, and I'm not saying that to knock Ronnie Barrett. Ronnie Barrett did an awesome job of designing and building what they asked him to build. Uh, that's what the requirement was, and so he made a gun that was actually better than that, was four minutes of angle, and uh, they were using it to shoot at uh, the engine block of a lead vehicle in a a caravan. Uh, so that's all the more accurate it had to be. But once uh, my dad got involved in, in building an accurate rifle based on the fifty BMG cartridge, they decided, heck, these guns shoot pretty darn good. And I know my dad was shooting in some of the first fifty Cal matches, uh, national matches. My brother was uh, on the board of directors. So McMillan has had uh, a footprint in this extreme long range shooting for a long time. And I feel like it's kind of my duty to be involved and help promote and and as a part of that, and the reason I asked the question, is that it would be very nice if we could come up with some sort of organization that actually could sanction matches where when someone said, I hold the world record or I set the world record, that everybody would recognize that as the world record and say, that's really cool. Because the way it is right now, you can go out and shoot at a distance at a certain size target, and it doesn't matter how many times it takes you to hit it, and if you hit it once, you can call it a a world record. And I'm just not sure that that's the right way to approach that.
4: Yeah, I I would agree with you. Um, But, you know, the thing is, it's kind of a, 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 well, like you said, it's kind of a weird weird thing because who's who's right you know and and how do you how does one how does one group decide what what a world record is you know um like i said kind of i think it's going to be whoever you know right now i think the king of two mile event and there's another one in texas i wish i had the name of it in front of me but i didn't i didn't think to, to write it down um but one of these one of these matches, I think, is going to be the one that kind of takes off, and that'll be where records are set. Um, that being said, the two-mile event's going to cap out at two miles, right? So, you know, this next one, say it's three miles or so, you know, who's going to decide? Um, and it's going to have to be, you know, globally recognized, for one. It's going to have to be um, – so I don't know. Is Guinness – is that a thing? Is the Guinness Book of World Records – Is are they – could they get involved? Would that be something that would be possible, I wonder? I don't know.
1: They could, and I know somebody personally who asked them to, to come and sanction an event, um, but because it was firearms related, they just wouldn't do it. They didn't say they wouldn't do it, but they could never get the details worked out, and the the friend of mine who was telling me the story Uh, just assumed it was just because they didn't want to get involved in anything firearms related, at least at that time. So, uh, yeah, even having a Guinness World Book of Records, um, you know, how many times you can jump on a pogo stick, I guess you can have a world record of anything. Um, Yeah, But what we're talking about is having a legitimate, recognized event where people could go and duplicate something that somebody else, or try to duplicate it. Now. I'm sure you've heard of and you've been watching on social media that their Paul Phillips is putting together an event at uh, Gunsight uh, the day before the Shot Show starts. Actually, Sunday, uh, the 5th, 14th, I guess it is, and it's it's a they're calling it a world record-setting event. They're going to have targets at a certain range with a certain amount of uh, places on the the uh, firing line. And you pick which range you want to shoot at, and and it's, um, you have to hit the target all three times with a cold bore, and and you can't shoot again for four hours if you want to try a second time. Well, it, it looks like the field is going to be so full that they won't have time for anyone trying second time. It'll push them way past the 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 time where it starts to get dark out there. So I don't know that that's going to happen, but at least they're trying to come up with a systematic way of shooting a match that will allow other people to put on a match just like it somewhere so that somebody else could try to, to break that record.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a good idea too. But there again, you know, I mean, it's everything's, if you go someplace else, it's a, it's a different shot. You know what I mean? And uh, I don't know. I but guess they,
1: you know they shoot matches, the, the National High Power Silhouette Championships all over the country. They travel in every range. bench Benchrest r- ma- matches are the same. Every range has its own idiosyncrasies, and that the guys that shoot at that range have an advantage over those who don't. And you know it. It happens. You hear people talk about it in in the NBRSA and IBS Nationals circuit that, oh, you know, this guy shoots really good in you know the um, Crawdad match because he's from Baton Rouge. He, he shoots at that, that range six, eight times a year. Um, so you're never going to get away from that. But if the distance is accurate, say say a guy puts three shots on the target at 2,000 yards, and that's the biggest one that was hit at this, and, and you, they publish the size of the target. If somebody else wants to go through the same process – and put a target at 2200 yards and he hits it three times then that's a legitimate yeah I did it in competition it was you know we had all these people this is the the guy who put on the match and and so then yeah it may not have be the exact same shot because the conditions were different because it was in a different place but it's still 2200 yards
4: right Right. And that's the yeah, and I guess the the most important thing would have be having people around that are are reliable to witness it, you know.
1: Um, yeah, one of so, the first things that comes up is they say, Hey, well we've got to video of this. We've got to document it. I said, It's so easy to make a, a video look like you've done something that you really haven't done. I'm not sure that we can believe that. We just have to have honest people with integrity say, I was there, I saw it. And uh, it's factual.
4: Yeah, exactly. With, with the way people can edit videos and stuff these days, it's, it's too easy to, to cheat that, I think. And I think you're right. I think that having, you know, I, maybe they could, maybe somebody could start up some sort of a, you know, an ELR world record squad of some sort, like a, like a, um, uh, like an association or something just dedicated to that where, you know, if you're going to do it, you got to have two of these guys with you because they're the record keepers, you know, um, or, or at least something, some way to, to prove that people are doing it, you know, because, uh, there's too much, you know, for a while there, I don't know if you remember that was, you know, there was some Americans making long shots and then the Russians were making some long shots and then the Americans were making long shots again. but, You know, who knows how many shots they were taking and and what the targets were and and what was actually going on, you know.
1: Well, I have a little bit of knowledge about that, too. I was going to use that in my uh, description of how McMillan has been involved in the extreme long-range shooting. Uh, As most people know, uh, the Canadian shooter, Rob Furlong, who who shot uh, an enemy combatant at um, 2,460 meters, was using a McMillan TAC 50. Uh, and we've had Rob in our shop and we've had him at the shot show and he's a great guy. I believe it happened just like he said it happened. There's been been quite a bit of documentation on that long before uh, the internet was uh, blowing up with everybody shooting long. This last one that was shot a little over 2.2 miles. Now that was a Canadian sniper using a, a McMillan action. But they had changed the stock on it, and they, were, they had some sort of chassis stock and uh, changed the barrel. So it's really not the same gun, so I don't like to take a lot of credit for that.
4: Yeah, and I believe they were using the TAC HQ, the Charlie Tarok, the, the little periscope-looking thing. Right. Do you know if that's true? I'm pretty if sure. That, that is true. Uh, I talked yes. to, Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty cool little piece of equipment there.
1: That's going to be something that we're carrying on the uh, ELR HQ for all those long-range shooters that that want to go someplace and buy all their equipment in one spot. We'll have that uh, called a Periscope, Um, TACOM 4 or something. I'm not sure exactly which uh, model it is, but they've got several. It's kind of a cool deal where you can just kind of tell them what – MOA you want, and they build it into it. You put it on the front of your scope, and now all of a sudden, instead of being limited to about 100 or 110 MOA, uh, even if you got a 60 MOA base, you can get out to you know 200. So you can use your scope. But the coolest thing about that thing is you can use your scope more in the center of the uh, the range, so you you don't get way out on the edge where it gets a little ragged.
4: Right, right. Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of these ELR competitions, you know, they've got the the, the adjustable bases and, and uh, you know, people that are just building crazy cant into their uh, scope bases and stuff. Um, I think that this is really going to take over for a lot of the serious ELR competitors. You're going to start seeing that piece of equipment mounted to a lot of these rifles.
1: Well, there is just no way to step around the fact that you just need a lot of, uh, elevation to be able to shoot that far. Right. So when you're, um, choosing guests for your podcast, uh, what is it that intrigues you about somebody that would, um, get you excited about having them on your show?
4: Oh, it, um, you know, I get listeners that, uh, that'll that email and say, hey, can you talk to this guy? Or uh, maybe somebody comes out with something cool and I want to hear more about it, I'll call them up. Uh, it, it originally started out, I was just trying to learn. So anybody anybody who was, uh, you know, a better shooter than me or, or, or some sort of, uh, you know, building something cool that, that would help uh, a guy improve his shooting, I wanted to, to hear about it. I wanted to hear how it worked. And so I would just start sending people emails you know, uh, maybe I help a guy load up a four wheeler and he's Kelly Mcmillan, and that's how I start talking to him, and that's how he gets on the show,
1: <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't have to be a very exciting person at all, does it?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I thought it was a pretty good show
1: um I had mentioned the uh, event that they're having just before shot show. Are you gonna be out at that one?
4: I'm not, I'm not gonna be able to make it um. I'm not making it to shot show this year either. I, I will have a guy out there though, uh, you know, walking around and, and taking pictures and uh he'll be with Precision Rifle Media and he will be he'll have a little press pass, he'll be running around make taking little interviews and setting stuff up, so
1: Yeah, I know some people have jobs where they can just say, well, you know, this is work and go to a a match or go to a trade show or so. And then some guys have jobs where they actually really have to work. And I I know you've got a really serious job and can't get off every time you want. But, uh, hey, maybe maybe you keep doing this podcast thing and uh, you'll get so famous that you can sell advertising and you'll make so much money that you won't have to work anymore.
4: Yeah, well, that'd be the dream, huh? We'll see what happens.
1: <laughs> I've been amazed to hear about some of these women that have, you know, started, you know, my little poodle or whatever blog it is, and they get so many um, people reading their blog that the the advertisers come to them saying, "Hey, well, I'll pay you this much if you'll put my ad on your your blog." So I, I haven't had anybody approach me. <laughs> wanting to advertise on my show yet so i need to find out the secret
4: yeah not enough poodles in your show i guess
1: i guess um (laughs) you're gonna make it to king of two mile though
4: i'm planning on it yeah planning on it we got some stuff in the works we uh the you know i don't know if you pay attention to the rules but they um they changed the weight limit to 45 pounds for this year
1: you know, so I heard that have- just last week, and and I and I immediately got a hold of Eduardo and said, "What the heck are you doing?" So you can't change the weight every year because people are going to get upset about spending all this money on a gun that they can't shoot. And he said, "Oh, you just put a lighter bar- barrel on it." Well, you know that's kind of defeats the purpose of shooting long range if you put a barrel on there that you think it's going to take to. To produce the accuracy that you want, you know, putting a lighter barrel on there is not going to be the right answer. Anyway, he did tell me that he wants this to be a sniper type related match. And I thought, wow, uh, you know, I know where your background is and where you come from. But I don't think anybody cares whether it's a you know bench rest on the ground. It's just one hundred percent about the accuracy issue of it, not the tactical end of it. But he's got a different uh, way of thinking about what he wants this match to be.
4: Yeah, and I've interviewed Eduardo in the past, um,
2: <laughs>
4: and uh, I believe he's a, a sniper instructor overseas. Absolutely. And yeah, uh, he is. Yep. that is that is one hundred percent his. He wants it to be. Um, Way more practical than I think what a lot of of people are doing right now. The weight limit thing, I agree. It's it's hard. You know, we had rifles built for last year, and uh, and if you were to stay for the uh, 50 caliber Shooters Association, the World 50 Cal Championship, thousand yard match, you know, that weight limit was was 50 pounds as well for the heavy guns. So you could use the gun for both. You know, and now it's going to be. Um, and a lot of the shooters that shot the King of Two Mile, well, not a lot, but, you know, several of them were there so that they could shoot all of it, you know. Uh, and it's going to make it a little harder to do that. And and we're working on cutting our rifles down to 40 pounds right away because uh, my understanding is he wants to have it 40 pounds for the 2019
1: match. I think he said that he was going to let it go through 2020, the first match that would be 40, but yeah, his intention is to eventually get down to 40, and I said, you know, why is that? And he said, well, that's a much more realistic um, field weight than is 50 pounds, and I said, I don't know how you say that. 40s not realistic for anybody. He says, well, you know, the, the Steyr something or rather, it weighs in at 37 pounds. So that's why I made it 40. <laughs> I guess there's oh. a, sni- a long-range sniper rifle out there already that weighs in at 37 pounds.
4: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. If you're going to be setting up with a 40-pound rifle, what's a 50-pound rifle, I guess?
1: And that, that was my point. Yeah. Hey, Kurt, it's been a great show. Thanks for for being on. You know, I, it always seems like when we get a great guest, time just flies. I know you experience that same thing, too. You look down at oh, the clock sure. and say, how could we have done this for that long? But uh, I got about a minute left, and I just wanted to thank you for being on the show and uh, look forward to seeing you the next time at uh, King of Two Mile.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Kelly. I really appreciate it. It's been a blast.
1: Great. Look forward to the next time. Yep. I want to thank all of our listeners for uh, staying tuned uh, for this last hour. We had some great guests, really uh, good information. Um, I'd like to encourage you to <laughs> stay warm in most parts of the country. It's, it's right here in Phoenix. We're a little chilly at about 60, but I know that uh, we're kind of lucky and not everybody else is having the kind of weather we are. But um, just remember, we'll be here next week on voiceamerica.com sports channel with Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week.